You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you enjoy bizarre true stories, then the Useless Information Podcast is the podcast for you. For example, did you know that author Robert Louis Stevenson gave his birthday away? Or that there was a football team that played for six years before someone realized that the school never, ever existed? Or that a dog in upstate New York was once placed on trial for murder? Well, to hear these and hundreds of additional fascinating true stories from the flip side history, be sure to check out the Useless Information Podcast. That's the Useless Information Podcast, podcasting worldwide since 2008 and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Be sure to check it out. This is the second part of a two-part series, so if you haven't already, you should go back and listen to Rock Bottomless Part 1. But if you need a refresher, Art, Mel, and I have you covered. One of the greatest stories ever told was told on this program. Um, How long ago was it? God, you know, I don't even remember now. Oh, I can tell you, Art, it was three years ago. Three years that Mel Waters had come on Coast to Coast AM. About a hole in the ground that had no end, or no end that anybody could find. With, yeah, the damnedest thing you ever heard. It was the damnedest story you ever heard in your whole life. In his first appearance, Mel told the story of a hole on his property, which people had been dumping trash into for decades. You know, we, we just take all, you know, we take all of our... Uh, Trash, rubbish, anything we have that we have to get rid of, we take it, throw it in the hole, everyone's throwing their stuff in the hole. Until one day, Mel got an odd question in his mind. Just how deep was it? I mean, my original line of inquiry really was, is this the deepest hole around? I mean, that, that was my original um, uh, question I put forward. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think I got an answer to that. He'd never heard anything hit bottom, whether he dropped a refrigerator or a television tube. So he started letting fishing line out into it. On his first go, and I skipped this in part one because I was foolishly trying to make all of this pack into a single episode at the time. On his first go, he attached a roll of lifesavers to the end of the line in what he calls an old fisherman's trick. What I did is I sent down a roll of lifesavers. Lifesavers? Yeah, so when it hits the water, the lifesavers will dissolve. And then he got serious buying 20-pound test monofilament line in bulk and eventually emptying 80,000 feet of the stuff, more than 15 miles, into his hole without striking bottom. So he sent a fax to Art Bell, host of the late-night supernatural call-in show Coast to Coast AM, asking for advice. Soon, Art got Mel on the line to explain his situation live, for millions of listeners, who now include you. But also, according to Mel at least, additionally included some sort of military agents, who quickly swooped in and formed a cordon around Mel's home, with armed guards and blockades to keep people out, 
and a threat to Mel that if he pushed his luck, they'd frame him up for running a drug lab on his property. Although, how much of that would need framing is kind of an open question, as Mel was running some sort of cagey drug lab on his property, devoted to growing and processing what he repeatedly and vaguely refers to as Native American plants that he says could cure Spanish flu. Mel, Art, and Art's listeners all had ideas about what the whole might be. Maybe it's the entrance to hell, I don't know. <laughs> because the Earth is hollow. They've never proved the Earth is solid. Time machine. Interplanetary travel. One of the things that occurred to me is maybe this has some sort of astronomical type uh, type thing. That's right, Project Heart. Cloning humans. They have a bunch of satellite dishes up there that theoretically don't exist, that they use for talking to satellites that aren't there. Um, maybe they see the operation of the dead dog. I don't know if anybody's asked you yet, but have you ever seen a UFO out around in that area? Allegedly Zionists, allegedly anti-religion Zionists, with billions of U.S. dollar profits. What does this have to do with... ...makers and currency future derivatives markets. All right, well, I don't know where he's... He's always going all all over the place where it has nothing to do with our topic. Uh, First time caller line, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. And what he should do with it. Is he called a psychic by any chance? Even if we just had somebody lowered past the 1,600-foot mark to see what's down there. I know you're connected with somebody that's got radar available. Radar would be the way to go to find out the depth. And you're trying to get on it, and they had it all roped off, and they said, go away. You know, we could I, find I would it. come back with a gun. If you'd considered uh, making a contract with uh, the uh, refuse collection department from uh, Yakima County, you'd probably make a killing on that. Would like somebody to be lowered down into the hole. That's right. I, I would be willing to do that. See, there you go, sir, a volunteer. Well, here's somebody from Las Vegas, Mike, suggests that we throw a cat down the hole. Listen to the cat scream as it goes down. It's a horrible idea. I don't know about people who do that, throw down a cat. Oh, man. But by the end of his second call and our first episode, nothing was settled. Maybe Mel would take an offer to sell his land and disappear. Or maybe he'd disappear less voluntarily. Either way, disappear he did. For three years, he was nowhere to be found. And in that three years, the saga of Mel's Hole spread in newspaper articles, TV segments, websites, and more. Until, finally, in April of 2000, he returned to the airwaves with a story even more unbelievable than before. This is The Constant, A History of Getting Things Wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Today's episode, Rock Bottomless, Part 2. Mel Waters could have walked away. Mel Waters did walk away. For three years, he was nowhere to be found, and I think that gap was crucial for his story's success. Over the course of less than a week total, just three hours actively, he had spun a fantastic yarn. By the end of his second episode on Coast to Coast, he'd tested the tensile strength of his story almost up to its breaking point, just like the line he'd supposedly let down into the hole. He'd added the militaristic intervention of some unknown agency, as well as something about a beam of darkness, and that was good. How much more could the story bear? 
Probably not much. And that's likely why the next few acts of Mel's story don't get nearly as much play. Most of what follows is typically ignored when people relate Mel's whole. But there still is a good deal of cleverness in them. It just gets washed out in the noise. Mel. Mel, is it you? It is him. Is no, I? I can't believe it, Mel. Yes, indeed. Listen, brother, I just spent an hour red-faced, uh, embarrassed, because I thought the Blair Witch Project was real. And I really thought it was real, Mel. The only I background you know, need for I this third call really is that it happened I, late. Weeks before, Art Bell teased an so episode with Mel. But when the time came, Mel was a no-show, for reasons he will soon describe. Well, it was one of the greatest stories, no doubt, ever told. In fact, it spurred all kinds of things. Television crews went up to Ellensburg, Washington. I know it, I know it. I, I, uh, I heard many things. and uh, So I must uh, begin by asking you, before I go forward, any further with you tonight at all, Mel... Uh, is this, is Mel's Hole, the story of Mel's Hole, another Blair Witch Project? I will not drop any bombshells on you in regards to this being the Blair Witch Project. This is The first half an hour of Mel's third call is mainly spent recapping the saga so far, and there's not a lot in there we need to hear, with just one exception. This go-around, Mel clarified that he did not actually own the land around his eponymous hole. Technically, the owner was his wife. Later on, but, but you uh, owned the property at the time, right? Yeah, it was it was it was actually my wife's property. Okay, was yeah. it was it empty property ostensibly? Uh, no, we, we, with we whom his relationship had, was apparently quite strained. Married this woman in Ellensburg, and uh, uh, you know we lived there for a while, and then we kind of gotten got broken up. <laughs> well, Mel's time, bitterness with his estranged and or ex-wife is one of those things that lends him validity. Uh, legal action. The legal, legal action was taken on uh, on behalf of my former wife. Your former uh, wife? Yeah. Basically, I had the property uh, on the Manastash. As, as you had the, said it was her property. It was her property, legal. and it was basically she had leased it to me in perpetuity as part of our divorce settlement. I had helped her go through uh, school. Mel's bitterness with his estranged and or ex-wife is unattractive. I'm keeping some of my cards close to the vest because I'd like to put uh, uh, some of the screws on my former wife there to, to see that, hey, you know, let her know, and I hope she's listening, uh, that, uh, uh, hey, you know what happened to me? Can happen to you? Can happen to you, and uh, it might be worth your while to... Uh, uh, you know, keep me a little bit quiet about things. You know. But it's also one of the things that lends him validity. It comes up over and over again, even when Art tries to push him off the topic. It doesn't do anything to confirm who he is or where he is or what he's seen or done. It means nothing for the rest of his story. But make no mistake, whether Mel Waters has a bottomless pit or not, he surely has an ex-wife. Let's get to the new stuff, particularly... Mel, um, where have you been? Your encounter with those strange folks up there, you had another encounter with them, and they made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Yeah, yeah. well, at first they intimidated the hell out of me because basically they said, look, you know, uh, 
uh, one of the civilian fellows there said, hey, we, you know, we could find a drug lab out here and we could put you out of business in a hurry. You know what oh, I'm talking that's about? that's right. I remember, yes. I and remember. Uh, for, for all intents and purposes, it sure as heck could have looked like I had a drug lab out there. I had a lot of uh, strange uh, non-native plants growing there, none of them, uh, I, I have to say, of uh, narcotic uh, nature. These are just your typical desert, uh, high desert type plants. Uh, and uh, they basically uh, said, hey, we can shut you down and, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about all of this. Uh, ultimately, they did make me an offer that I could not refuse, and I will tell you the offer that they made me. Uh, and it had to do with going to Australia, and I needed money to go to Australia, and I wanted to continue my research in uh, uh, medicinal plants. And so uh, we put together a very interesting package and a very interesting lease on the land this party. Well, as a matter of fact, you told, oh, no, did you tell me you were going to Australia? Yes, you did. Yes. Yeah, you told me that they had made... Just getting this update sort of ruins the mystique, doesn't it? The 1997 version of Mel's Hole had this great Lady or the Tiger thing going for it. When Mel went quiet, he left listeners with a limited and evocative set of possibilities why. Maybe he sold the land and went into hiding. Maybe he was captured by extra-legal forces who spirited him away to a prison bunker somewhere. Maybe he went down the hole. By coming back, that ambiguity collapsed, leaving us with a story that's far less engaging, not to mention riper for doubt. For one thing, it gives Mel a chance to talk about money. And so then you were off to Australia with a, a parcel of money. They, they, I'll tell you, they basically gave me a quarter of a million dollars a month for oh, the property. A quarter of a million dollars a month? My God! And, and so when talking about money, Mel can't avoid grandiosity in a way that doesn't pass a smell test. It's too much. Why does he have to say he's filthy rich? Because he likes that part, is why. And it's not just when quoting the improbable figures the government is supposedly paying him that he shows this instinct. He also makes far-fetched monetary claims when ranting about, you guessed it, his ex-wife. Thing guessed, I was giving her $25,000 a month. Just as bad, Mel's tale of Australian exodus affords him the chance to wax on more about his Native American medicinal plants. We did a lot of, we did a lot of cultivation there. I grew a lot of, that, that one, of one of the reasons for being where I was in, in uh, in central Washington was the type of climate that was there was very conducive to, to going to the various things I did. And, uh, right. Uh, I tried to find similar conditions out there in Australia as well. Now, Mel has folded his obsession with the plants into the story of the whole, saying that it has some sort of magical effect on anything around it, which is what makes his plants so miraculous yeah, in like the first place. No, but uh, we, we, had, we had found some... Uh, some of the plants that I had grown out there had some very remarkable properties. and uh, you think that would have anything to do with the area where they were originally? That, absolutely. That, near the hole. Absolutely, because... How miraculous? Well, how about this? And I was approached at one point to take some of the things that I had uh, brought from the U.S. And uh, we, we gave them to some people up there, three men, who had, like, advanced HIV yeah. I mean, these guys were in hospice. Yeah. Well, they're not in the hospice anymore. They're not on death's door anymore. These guys are doing just fine. Wow. <sighs> Mel. 
Mel, Mel, Mel. This was stuff. This is some story. And Mel, why did you? I I don't understand why you left Australia. I mean, I. Oh, I I I just I just came back here to, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, be with my family. The plants aren't the only uh, thing affected by the hole. In this call, Mel says repeatedly that there are a number of people he's looking to track down, and that makes Art nervous. And he tries over and over to keep Mel from naming anyone on air. But he does allow Mel to tell the story of one man and a gun. I need to get hold of uh, uh, the guy that I... uh I uh, gave the uh, gun to. I, I believe uh, he contacted you. Yeah, where did you get that gun? That, that I dug up on the property. I, you know, I planted various things out there and uh, found this a gun, gun, and a holster, and those little little odds and ends along with it there. And I just basically uh, took this and threw it in my drawer in my my little workshop there, my office that I had on the property there. And then when I had to move, I gave it to this fellow and. Uh, because I need to move into the apartment, I gave it to him as a deposit on the apartment. You know, so it must, have been, it must have been a decent gun. It, it, it was, uh, from what I could tell, and I'm not a big gun man, but it was a uh, uh, German P-38. It looked like one of those, you know, like the Nazis used to use back in World War II. And uh, what I had found out, and I talked with his son, his son is basically says that this fellow is, uh, he left the family, he left his wife, he left, you know, everyone there, he can't be found at all, and so I'd like him to contact me. Uh, I had talked with this guy's son, and this guy said that, uh, you know, his father be, kind of became obsessed with this gun here, and I believe what he'd, he'd indicated to you is that he would shoot this gun and it wouldn't make a sound. But this thing was, like, dead silent and uh, was really weird. Well, I talked with this guy's son because uh, he's kind of close with my nephew, and we got, you know, we got talking. He says, you know what was interesting about this uh I don't know what my dad told me, and you know, when is that he would set the gun down, yeah. like near the radio, yeah. and it would pick up signals from all over the place, like from the past, from from the present, from any type of radio signals, and he could change the channels on the radio. This is really weird, Mel. Well, look, this, this everything is that talking. comes out of the area of that hole is weird. And if that's not enough for you, at the end of the episode, he gets off a weird comment about, uh, well, just listen. Can, can I? Can I? Uh, can I? Can I say this? There is a very, very, very strong connection uh, with uh, the Heaven's Gate incident and uh, my property. Well. Okay, I will say this. You wanted to make contact with anyone who saw Marshall Applewhite mm-hmm. up in that Ellensburg area yes. prior to the last appearance on Coast to Coast. And by the way, Mel, uh, for your your original appearance here was, damn, I had it here. In, in February of 97. I think it was February, 20, February 21st of mm-hmm. 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a call from my board op uh, during the break here. And he said February first, nineteen ninety-seven. Absolutely. And so you think somehow, somehow, there's some connection to the whole Heaven's Gate thing. I do believe, and uh, that happened, that occurred, if, as you recall, about a month after my appearance. I recall. Yeah, well, I recall. Uh, on right. the show, and uh, I, I don't want to, uh, I well, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. Like I say, Mel is really pressing his credibility. 
And not just by trying to draw in death cults and silent, time-traveling radio signal guns. The whole thing is just getting too complicated. But that's not to say that there's nothing intriguing in this third call. The main narrative thrust of this episode revolves around why Mel ghosted Art a few weeks back, when he was initially supposed to reappear on Coast to Coast. The story he has to tell about that is yet another weird kink in the saga. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did archaeologists discover Noah's Ark? Is the rapture coming as soon as the Euphrates River dries up? Does the Bible condemn abortion? Don't you wish you had a trustworthy academic resource to help make sense of all of this? Well, I'm Dan Beecher, and he's award-winning Bible scholar and TikTok sensation Dr. Dan McClellan. And we want to invite you to the Data Over Dogma podcast. Where our mission is to increase public access to the academic study of the Bible and religion, and also to combat the spread of misinformation about the same. But, you know, in a fun way. Every week we tackle fascinating topics, we go back to source materials in their original languages, and we interview top scholars in the field. So whether you're a devout believer, or you're just interested in a clear-eyed, deeply informed look at one of the most influential books of all time, we think you're going to love the Data Over Dogma podcast. Wherever you subscribe to awesome shows. Well, I'm going I'm to I'm going to relate to you the chain chain of events that occurred. Please, from the day that I was supposed to appear on the show, right? As much as I can remember, and bring it up to date till now. All right. Okay. On the day that uh, I was going to be on the show, I uh, helped my nephew move from his apartment. Right. We got him a place down in uh, the Olympia area. Right. And so, you know, we moved him down there and all of that. And uh, uh, we got him down here, and then I was going to uh, basically, uh, we had to return the truck back to uh, the Tacoma area. So we got him all settled here. I got uh, up to Tacoma, returned the truck, and I was going to take the bus down to Olympia. Just take the transit. There's a bus that runs from Tacoma to Olympia. So right. I got on the bus and went down there. And I got. Uh, on the bus, and there was uh, an altercation on the bus. There was fighting. There was commotion going on. Uh, anyway, we pulled into the, uh, and some of your listeners might actually remember this, but we, uh, we, if they were on the bus, or they might have heard of it. But we pulled into the 512 parking ride, and uh, uh, some apparent transit people got on the bus, and they wanted to ask questions about uh, uh, what happened on the bus. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I got off the bus and I said, I talked to these guys here, but I have to get them back. I have to get back to Olympia here because they're going to do all of this here. And, uh, uh, and 
So they said, that's no problem. We're going to, you know, we'll, you know, we've got the uh, transit bus here. We'll just take you back to Olympia. Mm-hmm. I says, okay. And that's the last thing I remember. The last thing you remember? About, uh, what do you mean? Was it about 12 days later? I found myself in San Francisco. Somebody hit you. Did what did you? Give I have you a no ma- idea. At that point, I found myself in San Francisco, in a pretty rough part of town, in an alley. These bums were basically trying to wake me up. Holy mackerel! They were trying to get me to sing. I remember this. Uh, they were trying to get me to sing on the road again because I sort of looked like Willie Nelson. Huh. And uh, you. Mel, are you sure? This is exactly what happened. And you lost how many days? Twelve days. I oriented myself down there. I looked around. I noticed there was pain in my arm. I rolled up my sleeve. It looked like... uh, I'm looking at my my elbow now here. It looked like... uh, What would you say? uh, An IV was taped to my skin. Yeah. There was still the residue of tape. Oh, my man. arms. Yeah, I understand. Uh, I So, obviously, and, somebody kept you out for 12 days for some and, reason. Not only did these mysterious figures cause Mel to black out somehow, and not only did they take his teeth. All of my back teeth have been removed. What? I have no back teeth. You have no back teeth? None. You don't mean like... Uh, no molars, no wisdom You're not talking teeth. about wisdom teeth. You're talking about... None. No back teeth. Not on top, not on bottom. Why would they take your teeth out? I have no idea, Art. They also, and you shouldn't overlook this because it's going to be important very soon, they also took his belt. I was without my belt buckle, and that really, you know... They took your belt buckle? Yeah, I... I Now, that's really low. I I had made a... Take a person's teeth, but you take your belt buckle. Well, well, it was was just... Why would they take his belt? Why is that worth noting? You'll find out soon. But in the meantime, we're pretty much done with this third call. Although I would like to note that both Mel and Art are now aware of how popular this story has become. After the program we did with Mel, and the one we're doing now, I found out quickly that there was an abiding, gigantic fascination for this kind of thing. I mean, people, I guess... I, I don't know exactly what the fascination is. Frankly, I, I really don't know. All I know is I had thousands of emails and faxes from people wanting to know about this hole and telling me, in fact, about other holes. Mel's hole is not the only deep mystery hole in the world, uh, Mel. There are others, and people have told me about them, but yours is quite spectacular, to be sure. In addition to letters and faxes and TV segments and newspaper articles, they also note a song. Uh, no, uh, really no, people wrote songs about what happened to you. Oh, I, I, I know. There, there. Uh, my, my nephew just showed me the other day. He had a compact disc called "The Ballad of Mel's Hole." It was That's right. Whole, I mean, it's uh, uh, incredible. People told me they had drinks named after <laughs> all of this. And, uh, I'm not sure what song they're talking about here. Because, uh, well, because there are a lot of Mel's Hole songs. Oh, 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 Mel's Hole. Oh, 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 Mel's Hole. Oh, 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 Mel's Hole. Oh, oh, oh. 
deep it is, there's no way of knowing. Because Mel's hole, it just keeps on going and There's this little ditty by the paranormal song Warrior, which is way too late to be the one they're talking about, and probably a bit too silly, too. Bring your doggy there if you want him resurrected. It's somewhere in Washington State, but it hasn't been detected, because the government's got it covered up. Mel's hole. This vaporwave number from Wet Salty Romance Explosion just came out this year, so it couldn't possibly be that. Not to mention that it's instrumental. Aside from the title, Mel's Hole, there's no detecting its subject matter. Stereo Creeps' take on Mel's Hole is also a little too abstract to be called a ballad. It does kick a decent amount of ass, though. So does Mel's Hole by Outer Course, which was also recorded far too late to be the referenced number. We can also nix the legend of Mel's Hole made by R50 States Project, because R50 States Project was a sort of tongue-in-cheek response to Sufjan Stevens' broken promise to make an album for every state in America. which came after Mel's appearance on Coast to Coast. Smile Hacks Mel's Hole uses clips from the call, so it can't possibly be that. Of all the Mel's Hole related song stylings I've discovered, I've narrowed the one Mel and Art are talking about down to two options, although it's possible that it's a whole different song that I haven't been able to dredge up. There's this one The Ballad of Mel's Hole. Some land in eastern Washington. And on this land, 
Probably by someone named Michael W. Hall. It's got the right title, The Ballad of Mel's Hole, and it has the right sound, right? But it looks like it wasn't written, or at least not made public, until 2017. So, who knows? The other option is also probably my favorite of the bunch. My name I don't remember, though I hail from Ohio. I had a wife and children, good tires on my car. What took me from my home and put me in the earth was the mouth of a deep, dark hole. Handsome Family released this track on their 2003 album Singing Bones, which makes it the oldest track I've been able to verify. As long as you can count Kitchen scraps and dead cows Tractors broken down But never did I hear One thing hit the ground And slow Not hard to imagine it could have been written and recorded, perhaps in some rougher form, before the 2000 phone call from Mel. The only problem is that it's not called The Ballad of Mel's Hole. It's called The Bottomless Hole. And while it's clearly inspired by Mel's story, it doesn't mention him, and it relates a very different set of events. My ropes and a rusty With the narrator's wife belaying him down the hole to the end of a rope, where he cuts the line and begins falling and falling and falling forever. I cut loose from the ropes and fell on down that hole. And still I am there falling down in this evil pit. But until I hit the bottom, I won't believe it's bottomless. I like it very much, frankly. On to the fourth and fifth calls. The final calls, where things get even weirder than ever before. To reach Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye, from west of the Rockies, dial 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-7... Another two years have passed. It's late 2002, and Coast to Coast has just recently rebroadcast all of the previous Mel's Hole content, which inspires Mel to call back again and give everybody an update. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the Premier Radio Networks. Mel Waters has appeared on Coast to Coast AM several times over the years now. Many may remember his accounts of the mysterious hole on his property in central Washington, which appeared to have no bottom. 
The hole was, by Nell's account, measured to a depth of 80,000 feet, utilizing fishing line and a weight. Since Mel's first appearance on the show, many strange, fascinating, and rather unfortunate things have happened to Mel and the people somehow related to the hole. In a moment, it's back to Mel's hole and more. Oh, boy. What an update. Here he is from, uh, you know, I don't know where he is right now, Mel Waters. Mel, welcome to the program. I'm here in the Pacific Northwest. Somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Uh, that'll do. Whatever slow-boiling frog-on-a-hot-plate pace this story all started with, it is long gone now. The boil is roiling, the hot plate is melting, and the frog is being transmuted to charcoal. Developments over the next two hours of recordings are so fast and furious that we can't waste any time. This was supposed to be a short episode, believe it or not. But I do want to point out one thing, which is that near the very top of this session, Mel lets loose an inconsistency, which you'd probably miss if you were just listening in five years after the initial calls. You'll remember that on the first episode, several callers mentioned issues with the way Mel was measuring the hole, that he couldn't tell for sure if his line was still going down or if the weight had long ago hit bottom and the line was being kept taut by its own girth. This time, Mel addresses that directly. And uh, what, I, what I did is I actually measured the weight of the line in the hole. Okay, okay I had a little spring fisherman's scale oh, okay, put on the thing. And I believe I had somewhere between, with the weight on the bottom, between 17 and 18 pounds of weight attached to okay. the top. All right. That's well, that would have been there. within the limits. But when would he have possibly done this experiment? We know that after the first call, he never again got a chance to go back to the hole. The military or whomever kept him away. So he didn't have a chance to weigh the line as he purports to now. That slip will be the only sign that Mel might not be on the level. I don't know. I mean, I mean it, it, you know, to, to me, it, it, you know, I, I, I think about it now, and I think about what I've been through, and I think about all these things here, and, and I, I don't know what to make of any of this stuff. I don't, I don't know After why. that I, bad I track covering and a little recap, Mel gets into my favorite bit of this leg of the story. Remember the belt? Well, check this out. I, why, I, I kept on thinking, why would they take my belt buckle? That, that was that was the thing. I mean, this this was very personal personal item there that would you know I had a another belt buckle on my belt. See what I'm saying? Why 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 take a man's belt buckle? Makes no sense. Yeah. So so anyway, I run into this guy and I says, "Hey, you bought one of my belt buckles?" He says, "Oh yeah, I love this thing." Anyway, so we take a look at it. And we're looking at it. And basically, the motif on there is I had three coins, you know, that I had affixed to it in bezels. Right. There was a coin with Winston Churchill right. on it. There was a coin with Joseph Stalin. And there was a coin dime with Franklin Roosevelt. Rather distinctive, yes. Well, this this was folk art representing the the great conference that they had. Gotcha. Yeah. So we're looking we're looking at the coins there and we're noticing there it is a nineteen forty three Roosevelt dime. Yeah. Franklin Roosevelt was still alive in 1943. That's a good point. In 19... uh, you're sure? Yes, yeah. absolutely sure. Absolutely sure. It was a 1943 dime. 
Well, that just makes no sense whatsoever. I uh, found a... You know, on my property, you know, I'd cleared a land. You know, I found that uh, uh, Nazi sort of gun there. It was a P-38 that I gave to the landlord as a deposit. I recall, yes. And we dig up all kinds of things, bits of metal and stuff like that. Well, I found when I went one time I was digging around there and just rooting around, I found one of these red Chinese lucky money envelopes. You know, the kind of Chinese give it to each other on yes on uh, New Year's? Yes, yes, yes. And it had ten of these dimes in it. Not only does the Roosevelt dime come from an impossible year, but also from an impossible mint. And the only other thing that was kind of peculiar about it was that it had a B, as in baby, mint mark on it. Now, we have S for San Francisco, P for Philadelphia, D for Denver. Right. But I have no record anywhere of a B, as in baby, or Boston. Boston. Could be Boston. I don't know what it was, but I, I know of no B mint mark on a dime. What the hell's going on here? Uh, I, but what I don't understand is how all this relates. Well, well, it, it ties into why my belt buckle was taken. Oh. Because it had the same coin on there. Oh. Well, one listener writes in with an idea. Uh, and, and, oh, by the way, one other thing. Oh. Before, before we even get to that, uh, Richard Hoagland called uh, at the top of the hour oh. and said, you know what, Art, you're right. Normal time travel could not explain what he just talked about, but there is one thing that could. And that is? A parallel universe. Hmm. That is to say, a universe in which... Similar things occurred, but uh, with very different outcomes. And uh, a lot of our best scientific minds now, Mel, are saying that, uh, indeed, that uh, that could w- very well be the case. Uh, you know, there could be a universe in which the Nazis won the war. And so there could be a universe in which the dime that you w- came to be in possession of on that so property... So the B on it might have stood for Berlin. There you go. Oh, my God, Berlin. I <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, all right. Uh, listen, this uh, story? Anyway. This story is great. It has everything that made the initial whole story so wonderful. It's inexplicable, but also tiny. Just some dimes. Impossible dimes. It'd make a killer two-sentence short story. Or the start of a slow-creeping Stephen King novella. Unfortunately, though, it's instead a totally superfluous detail that serves only to confuse the already too many storylines. Like a Stephen King novel. Ah, you know I'm right. Also like a shaggy Stephen King novel, this leg of the story has a lot of awkward Native American shit stapled onto it. They got in touch with Mel because of his magical remedies. Move this forward. I'm yeah, not, let, let's. Uh, you uh, connected, obviously, because uh, I guess of the plants that you grow, the herbs, yeah. and all the rest of it with Native Americans, right? Yeah, yeah I, and and, and uh, all I'm going to tell you about them, I don't want to give the name of the tribe because I don't want a bunch of people running down to meet there. But after showing up there and teaching them his secrets, for Christ's sake, they let him know about another hole. And that's where I ended up at the second hall, is because they took me directly to, not for the hole in particular. Well, then it's obvious to me that they knew your reputation. Right. They knew uh, the whole story of the hole, and the real motivation for inviting you down there, aside from the herbs and the rest of it, was that they had a hole of their own. 
The second hole is guarded over by a group of Basque immigrants, who quickly welcome Mel and his Native American pals into examine it. And soon they all devise an experiment. You did perform some experiments on this hole, didn't you? Okay, let, 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 me, let me talk about the first one. And, and, and the, first, the first thing that we did is we had a whole bunch of uh, Safeway or 7-Eleven uh, uh, bags of ice. Uh -huh. Put one in a bucket on the surface and we lowered another bucket of ice into the uh, hole, 1,500 feet. And so we lowered it down there. We waited for the ice to, to melt uh, on the surface there, and it got about half melty, you know. So it was sitting in a bowl of, uh, uh, in, a, in a bucket of water with a few bits of ice floating around. We brought it up, and the ice in the bucket did not melt. It didn't melt. It was not melted. I'm telling. We came up there. It was. We looked in the bucket. We had ice cubes in there. The, the stuff pretty much the way we had sent it down, uh, with, with the exception of when I put my hand in the ice, the ice wasn't cold. Felt like ice. What? Wasn't cold. You, know, you, you pick up a piece of ice, you put it in your hand. It's cold. It melts, and, and it's cold. Well, it, 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 didn't, it wasn't cold, and in the hand, it didn't melt. So then, it, now they're more like blocks of glass. Yeah, I, I would say so. But we said, oh, okay, what we'll do here is we'll take this bucket and we'll stick it on the fire. Okay. We had a little table and cooking area and stuff over there. and uh, uh, So we put it on there, and the ice catches fire. What? The cubes catch fire. And and, and, and I guess maybe uh, catching fire might be the wrong word. That the, <laughs> the ice, it, we, we, we took it off the fire right away. You know, so we set it on the, on the dirt and the stuff in the bucket was still burning. The barest turning a, a gas stove on, it was like, it was glowing like that last flicker before you turn it off completely. That's what it was like around all the cubes. Holy smokes. I, I, I will tell you that this bucket, well, some of the bucket there, is still sitting there, as far as I know today, still doing what it was doing the day we put it into the ground. If the perpetually burning ice is a bridge too far for you, then don't look down, because we've got so many more bridges left under our feet. Like the second experiment. All right, just about to get back to Mel Waters, uh, and he had brought up the subject of a sheep, which apparently uh, they were considering lowering 1,500 feet into the hole now. Oh, no, not a sheep. Well, we, we had... Uh, we had decided that we were going to take the sheep and put them in a crate and lower them into the hole. We led the sheep to the hole, and it just started freaking out. I mean, you know, we didn't make... Like every other animal. This is not pleasant to talk about, but uh, uh, we, we take, take the sheep, uh, and it's screaming, and just the most piercing, horrible, ghastly noises coming out of this crate oh, until we get it right over where we're going to let it into the hole, and then everything just stops dead silent. Mm. There's not a sound coming out of that box. And uh, so we started winching this sheep down into the hole, and uh, you can feel from the line as we're lowering it, the thing is struggling, uh, fighting. I don't know if it's screaming down there, but we're not hearing yeah. this thing screaming. And uh, I think we got about halfway down into the hole, and... Uh, it was about to say 700 feet, and then the uh, any any movement 
that might have been coming from the uh, crate. We couldn't... Uh, couldn't feel it anymore. No. Uh, no. We couldn't feel anything. So I, I don't know at 700 feet or so, about half the line, what what happened over there. And so we, we got it down to, uh, you know, 1,500 feet, and, and we left it there for about a half an hour. Mm. Uh, and then we decided to, uh, you know, bring it back up. Right, sure. Uh, you know, we finally get up to the surface, and we, uh, we got the, the box out of there. And, you know, the one thing we notice is there isn't any movement in the box, okay? No. There's no box. Mm-hmm. We get the box there. And uh but the box from the outside looked pretty pretty uh pretty normal. But we open up the crate and the sheep is dead. It looks like a sheep. Okay, it looks like a normal sheep over right. there. And uh And it's dead. Uh but uh we take it out of the box and the one of the basque lays it on the table that we have over there and he is going to dissect the sheep. Oh. Now on, on the outside the sheep looked just fine. You know that the hair, you know that the wool, whatever a sheep has, looks fine. Look, look, look like we said that the sheep looked like how he looked when we sent him into the hole. But he started cutting into the sheep, mm-hmm. and it looked like the sheep had been cooked. It was the, the flesh was hot underneath. You know when he started cutting cutting through the sheep here, it looked like the sheep had been cooked. And, uh, uh, you know this guy is cutting the sheep open here, and. Uh, he, he gets it so he's, he can look inside and see the internal organs like he's going to eviscerate the sheep. Right. Except they're not what we expected. What do you mean? It looks like there was gel in the, the cavity there. And something that looked like this huge tumor. And uh. almost taking up the entire length of the, uh, the body cavity. Oh, no. I mean, it was, it's pretty hideous. It's pretty disturbing and about to get more so, because the tumor is moving. And, and, and we could detect, we could see that the tumor had some movement to it. What? Yes, it had movement to it, and I, I don't, I'm going to describe it like a heart beating. Oh. There's not a beating of a heart. Oh. Just like a pulsing from this tumor. A pulsing tumor. Oh, my God, Mel. So we we get to the point... Inside is what Mel describes as a fetal seal. Like, you know, like... A fetal what? Seal, like a a pinniped, a a thing that lives in the ocean that balances balls on his nose. Yes. It's about 18 inches long. You know, it's got the flippers on it. And it looks like a little seal. Which begins moving around the room. You know, so we're 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 all standing back at that point because this thing is loose. You know, I'll be way back. And uh, and you know, we're watching this seal. And again, it, it, that's the only way I could describe it because it looked like a seal to me. She went eyes. And and then I felt, uh, uh, well, I just felt I was in the, the, the presence of something extraordinary, something beyond extraordinary, something like I I don't know. It it it. it I'm not not a religious man, but it felt in that category of having a religious thing there where this was just such a stunning thing to witness. Well, something that far from our understanding would appear to be... Until, eventually... I go up to it at this point, because I'm just, like, out of my head with I don't know what I'm in the in the presence of. And it looked directly at me when I got up to it, and it seemed, you know, it just it seemed to have a contact with me. 
And I got this compelling feeling to pick it up and place it on the ground. And I did that. So this thing is lying on, on the ground, and we're all looking at this thing here, and it's like looking at each of us in turn. In other words, intelligently. Yes. Yes. <sighs> we, we, we must have been there just absolutely transfixed by this, I'll call it a creature now, for like two hours. Some amount of time elapsed, and, and the, 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 the little, little seal there starts to waddle again towards the hole, and I get this feeling that it wants to go up on, on, on the ledge, on, the, on the, the collar. Right. So I pick it up in my hands, and I set it right, right there on there. It, it moves around a little bit, and then it looks at us. It actually nodded at us. It, it made like a slow nod. They turned around and went back into the hole. Did he take pictures? Did he take video? Did he get testimonies? And so we we didn't bring photographs. I per- personally, I I didn't want to. You know, I you know I thought thought to myself, look, this would be great. We get this all on 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 film, on on video, whatever. Right. right. But I, I did not want to encroach upon what they had. Of course not. But Mel does have one piece of evidence, because he also has a secret. Prior to going to Nevada, and this was in late August, I was diagnosed with a particularly lethal form of esophageal cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. This was a six, you know, like... The kind that does he have six months to live, but, you know, they, they're just telling you that. And my last examination with the doctor finds me cancer-free. Is it your feeling that your uh, uh, proximity to the hole um, or something about the hole changed this? I think, it was, I think it was the seal. The seal? I think it was the seal. The seal. So in the next call, Mel obviously brought in his doctor, or his medical records, or whatever, so that he could prove this, right? Yeah, you know he didn't. What has happened here is that I have been told that the uh, Basque have seen the same creature again and again, and they've had many experiences with the, well, I'm going to call it the seal creature. Ugh, it's so stupid. <laughs> How did it start out so clever and end up so stupid? But the Basque that are there have told me that uh, they receive visits from the seal-like creature. The Basques have been seeing the seals, and apparently they have a message. The Basques were warned about the ice that, that we sent down. What, said, uh, what kind of warning? They said from, from the seal creatures that the ice can and would destroy the world in a very little amount of time. This is the stuff is too dangerous to fool around with. You don't have any way... It's not of, supposed to be up here. ...of understanding how this works, even though it is so tempting that all of a sudden, in a, in a bucket of ice, I've got what seems to be a un, 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 unimaginable source of power, you know, an un, inexhaustible source of power, apparently. That stuff that was down there really is truly dangerous, if not contained properly, is my feeling uh, on that there. And then that's the warnings that they were giving us, that, that the world would be destroyed by the improper use of the ice. But 
they anticipate that greedy and undisciplined use of the ice will probably occur in this world. Greedy and undisciplined disciplined use of the ice. How do they deliver that message? Well, they don't talk, Mel says. Instead, and what they did, and I don't know how they uh, how they decided to do this, but the seal speaks to them through one of their boomboxes. Cancer-curing fetal whole seals born from whole tumors, delivering a message of warning about the existential dangers of burning ice via boomboxes. What do you think about that, Art Bell? So here you got the seal that's sitting there on the flange. He's Mel, do you realize how and, uh, crazy I, well, look. <laughs> this sounds? We got him, guys! The boombox is what finally pushed him over the line. So, what have we learned today? First of all, keep it simple. A bottomless hole is good. A 43 Roosevelt dime is good. A bottomless hole that creates 43 Roosevelt dimes? Yeah, maybe. But not if it also creates AIDS-curing plants, perma-ice that burns forever, and tumors that break out into subterranean land seals to warn you about the perma-ice. Not to mention messy, bitter divorces. And always remember... These seal creatures, they can travel between these worlds. And that there are other people in other worlds that have designs on this world because this world is in pretty good shape. There are some people out there in other worlds that are similar to ours, but their world is so horrible. Well, our world is at least above ground. Yeah, but th their world is so horrible that if we had suffered a nuclear holocaust on, on this world, they would be happy to inhabit it. There are people there, and, and what they were told is there are other worlds similar to ours that have designs on this world and that they monitor what happens on this world and they okay, are making... Listen to me now. We're almost out of time, okay. Mel. Anything critical to get out? Uh, ju just, just, just that they are looking at our conditions and they are saying, hey, the world that, that is the Earth that we know is on a collision course to disaster and a lot of them think this is good that then when we're gone... They can come here, and they think they're smart enough to use the ice that's here. Sage words, Mel. Sage words. Use your ice judiciously, everyone. Music for this episode provided by Epidemic Sound, Blue Dot Sessions, and Kevin McLeod. I've got a lot of people to thank this week, and that's the most wonderful problem to possibly have, because it means a whole bunch of people have signed up to support the making of this show. So while I thank them, you should too, because they're the ones making sure there's podcasts on the table. An extra special thanks to Christina Thomas, Joy Hofstadt, Kayla A., Danny McCaslin, Izzy Thompson, Marcel Follett, Dan McCoskey, J.F. Robichaud, Lloyd Case, Amiria, Mark, and Gwen Cohen-Brown. If you would like to join them, that can be arranged. Head on over to patreon.com slash theconstant, and for just two bucks an episode, you'll get ad-free and early access, along with monthly bonus content and the feeling of knowing you're helping support a show that really depends on you. Until next time, from Chicago, Illinois perspective home to the Chicago Spire, which was to be a 150-story skyscraper. 
until the Great Recession hit, halting construction and leaving the city with a 76-foot-deep skyscraper-sized circular hole that sat there, waiting for its ice-cautious baby tumor seal for the last 17 years. This has been The Constant.